0: Good morning church family. Morning. He has risen. He has risen oh, he has risen. He has risen for he has risen. He has risen Amen church. And a happy resurrection Sunday to you all. For it has been just absolutely wonderful church to see so many of you here over the past 24 hours for our Easter egg hunt, for our sunrise service, for our Fellowship breakfast, and now for the gathering of corporate worship on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And without a shadow of a doubt, church, there is no greater message in this world to preach than that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thus because of that, I just want to share with you all that it truly is an absolute honor and an absolute privilege to be able to preach that message to you all this morning right here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church of York. And it will be a message, church, that comes specifically this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, or where our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ appears to a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. However, before we get to that interaction this morning, let me first give you all a little background on the text. So Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, the Messiah, and the literal Savior of the world at this point in the text has been hit and mocked and spit on and abused and has been nailed to a cross at Calvary, died a sinner's death, and has been placed at this time in a tomb, a tomb that was owned by a rich man, church, and a follower of Jesus Christ, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And as we go on to see in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27, that after Jesus Christ was placed in this aforementioned tomb, that the tomb then was made secure by the sealing of a stone and by the setting of a guard, or a guard of soldiers, church, who were placed in front of the tomb in order to make sure that no one would steal the body of Jesus Christ and then make up the claim that Jesus Christ had erroneously risen from the dead. Nevertheless, three days after the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, A woman by the name of Mary Magdalene, on the first day of the week or on Sunday church, she goes to the tomb where the body of Jesus Christ had been laid, only to find then that the stone that was meant to secure the tomb, that it had been rolled away. Therefore, Mary then, she takes off from the tomb and goes and tells Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, that they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and that we do not know where they have laid him. Therefore, Peter and John then, church, they go to the tomb and eventually then both end up seeing that the linen cloths that Jesus' body was bound in were just lying there, and that the face cloth of Jesus Christ was also then somehow just folded up and in a place all by itself as well which as numerous commentators have pointed out, church, was not in any way a practice of grave robbers of the day, whereas they would break into a tomb, remove the cloths of a deceased body, fold them up nicely, and then leave the tomb in a red-up and cozy condition, for that was simply not, church, how any grave robbers conducted their business at this time. And thus the Apostle John then, in scene, that the tomb was now empty, and in seeing that the linen cloths that Jesus Christ had been bound in were still there, and in seeing that Jesus' face cloth was somehow now folded up inside the tomb, the Apostle John then, as we see in John chapter 20, he then believes And that he believes, church, that although Jesus Christ has been crucified and died and was buried, that somehow and that some way that he now, Jesus Christ, is alive. Which is where we are going to pick up in our text this morning. And which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ died for the sins of many, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Therefore, whoever places their faith in him will not perish, but will instead become members of the family of God forever. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Jesus Christ died for the sins of many, and three days later, he rose from the dead, Therefore, whoever places their faith in him will not perish, but will instead become members of the family of God forever. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And if you are joining us this morning and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. However, the only thing we ask, if you take one, is that you read it, starting today by turning your brand new Bible to page 906, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in the Gospel of John this morning, church. Looking specifically at John chapter twenty. Verses 11 through 18, where the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one, of, one at the head and one at the feet, and your Father, to my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good you are to send your Son not only pay the price of our sins, but by grace through faith in Him, we can have eternal life as well. We can become members into the family of the Most High God, children of God, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ because of this atoning work that Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross at Calvary. Father, your love, we cannot understand how great it is, but yet we can worship you because you are a God who loved us first and who displayed your love by sending your Son into this world to live the life we couldn't live, to pay the price we couldn't pay, to crush sin, to destroy death, to defeat the works of the devil, and to offer life in his most holy name. Father, let us have a mind and a heart this morning that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, open our eyes and our ears this morning. Soften our hearts to receive the beauty of your word, I pray. And Father, I pray that you send your spirit at this time to help me give this dear and blessed and wonderful flock the exact message that they need this morning, a message that is grounded in your word. Father, help us today in all that we do to glorify you, our good Father, who has brought us into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep, also possessed the authority to take his life right back up again. Again, point number one, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep, also possessed the authority to take his life right back up again. Verses 11 through 16. Which read, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she stooped to look into the tomb, and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. And we are again at the scene of the tomb church, where as we see in verse 11, Mary is at the tomb and is currently weeping. And just to make sure we are all on the same page here, church, the Mary that we are talking about here is none other than that of Mary Magdalene, who Jesus Christ actually casted seven demons out of and who then became a devout follower of Jesus Christ as well. Nevertheless, after going to Jesus' tomb on the first day of the week, John chapter 20, verse 1, and seeing that the stone had been rolled away and telling Peter and John that they had taken the Lord out of the tomb, Mary Magdalene then, church, at some point she decided to go back to the tomb. And as we see in verse 11, while she was outside the tomb, weeping and crying and grieving and mourning, she then looks into the tomb and sees, verse 12, two angels in white who were sitting where the body of Jesus had laid. And they said to her, verse 13, Woman, why are you weeping? As if to be gently telling Mary here that, woman, there is no reason for you to be weeping any longer since what has transpired here is not that of a sad thing, but instead is that of a glorious thing, an amazing thing, a beautiful thing, and a literal world-altering type of thing. However, Mary Magdalene here, she simply cannot move past this notion or idea or this belief verse 13, that someone has taken her Lord's body and that she does not know where they have put it. Or as Gary Burge describes it, for what Mary is failing to grasp here is that it was not grave robbers who removed the body of Jesus Christ here from the tomb, but instead what has happened stems ultimately from the power of God. Whereas the good shepherd, Jesus Christ here, church, who laid down his life for his sheep, and who was pierced for his sheep, crushed for his sheep, chastised, wounded, beaten, and died on a cross at Calvary for his sheep, that three days later the Good Shepherd Jesus Christ here, that he rose from the dead, since the Good Shepherd of the Sheep Church not only has the authority to lay down his life for his sheep, but also then as the very Son of God himself has the authority to take take his life right back up again, which is exactly, church, what Jesus Christ did and thus this crucified and buried and risen good shepherd Jesus Christ, he now makes his first post resurrection appearance here and not to Caesar here, nor to King Herod here, nor to Pontius Pilate or Caiaphas or even to any of the religious elites of the day here, but instead, Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, he appeared first to that of Mary. Magdalene here, a woman church, who as Andreas Kassenberger points out, not only possessed a checkered past, but who also then, within the culture of the day, was not even seen as a legitimate legal witness within the courts of law. And yet that is who our humble servant king, Jesus Christ, appeared to first following his resurrection from the dead. Nevertheless, As we go on to see in verse 14, despite the fact that Jesus Christ appeared to Mary Magdalene here, Mary Magdalene here did not realize that this man was that of Jesus Christ. But instead, as we go on to see in verse 15, thought that Jesus Christ here was the gardener. Now, we do not know, church, why Mary Magdalene here did not recognize Jesus Christ at this time. For maybe it was because her vision was poor from all the crying. Or maybe it was because Jesus' resurrected body was not as recognizable. Or maybe even it was because God simply kept her eyes from perceiving him at this time. For we simply do not know, church, the exact answer to that question. However, what we do know is that not only did Mary not recognized Jesus here, but also said to Jesus Christ here, again thinking that he was actually the gardener. Verse 15, sir, if you have carried the body away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Since Mary Magdalene here just so desperately, church, wanted to find the body of Jesus Christ. However, that all changes in an instant, church when Jesus Christ then says to her in verse 16, Mary, because upon hearing Jesus Christ call her by name, Mary Magdalene then turns and she says to Jesus here in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, which certainly should not come as a surprise to us, church, Since as we know from John chapter 10, that when the sheep of Jesus Christ hear the Good Shepherd call them by name, that they not only hear his voice, but that they follow him since they know his voice as well. For to borrow and to rephrase an illustration from Michael Green here, for it was during World War II, when some Turkish troops tried to steal a sheep from a nearby hillside located in Jerusalem. However, when the shepherd of this particular sheep saw what had happened, and in having no hope of recapturing this dear sheep by force, he suddenly then came up with an idea. For the shepherd then stood up, put both of his hands to his mouth, and called this particular sheep back to himself by name, and the sheep, when she heard that familiar call, she instantly then stopped, and when she heard it again, she turned around and ran right back to exactly where her shepherd stood, all before the soldiers could even make up their minds as to whether or not to pursue the sheep, all because this sheep knew church, the sound of her master's voice, when he called her by name. However, Mary Magdalene Church, she not only heard her master's voice and knew the good shepherd's voice when he called her by name, but as we also see in the text, Mary Magdalene, she also saw the Good Shepherd here and also then began to perceive that the Good Shepherd here, who was pierced for his sheep, crushed for his sheep, stricken, smitten, afflicted by God, and ultimately crucified on a cross at Calvary for his sheep, that he wasn't dead anymore, or lifeless anymore, or cold, or stiff, or pale, or deceased anymore, but that. Instead, this good shepherd here, who poured out his soul to death and was willingly numbered with the transgressors, that he also then, church, rose from the dead. Therefore, let your heart soar with joy this morning, Christian, knowing full well that you have a Savior, Christian, who not only laid down his life for you in order to cleanse you, redeem you, wash you, and pardon you of each and every one of your sins, but you also have a Savior, Christian, who had the authority to take his life right back up again, which means that if you place your faith in him, that you too, Christian, can have eternal victory over the grave as well. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we can become the children of God forever. Again, point number two, for by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we can become the children of God forever. Verse 17, which reads, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So it's previously mentioned that as soon as Mary Magdalene heard Jesus Christ say to her, Mary, she then turned and said to him, verse 16, Rabboni, but also apparently then must have grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ and began clinging to Jesus Christ, which seems like a pretty natural response here from Mary, does it not? Being that Mary Magdalene here is now seeing a man in Jesus Christ who she thought just seconds earlier was actually dead. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ then, he says to Mary in verse 17, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Which leads to the question here, for why does Jesus Christ, not want Mary to cling to him at this time. Especially when you consider, church, that Jesus Christ will eventually then in the text invite his disciple Thomas, a.k.a. that of doubting Thomas, to touch him and to place his hands on him only a week later. And I think the most likely answer to that question, church, revolves around the idea that in essence Jesus is telling Mary here that although he's been gone for three days and although he is back now, that he is not going to go anywhere again until the day he ascends back to his Father who is in heaven some 40 days later, church. Therefore, it is as if Jesus Christ here is saying to Mary, Mary, you do not need to cling to me right now or try to keep me all to yourself right now or be fearful that I am going to leave you again right now, but instead, Mary, what I need you to do right now, verse 17, is go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And I want us to pause here in the text, church, because I want to make sure that we all see here that Jesus Christ does not say to Mary here in verse 17, go to my apostles and say to them. Nor does he say, go to my disciples, and say to them. Nor does he say, go to my buddies and say to them, or to my pals and say to them, or even go to those weak and fearful and doubting sinners and say to them. But instead, Jesus Christ here, he says in verse 17, go to my brothers and say to them. And he calls his disciples, his brothers here, church, in verse 17, because as Matt Carter puts it, they are now his family members, since the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sin and the divine acceptance of that sacrifice demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ ushers them now into a new family with God as their father and with Jesus as their brother. Or as H.I. Ironside puts it, for suppose that God... While planting, the church had said, I am going to show my grace and the exceeding riches of my love by making sinful and fallen man, even the derelicts, even the drunkards, and even the thieves, into creatures as beautiful as the angels are. For every person who accepts my son will become as beautiful as the angels, as beautiful as Michael and Gabriel, and even as glorious as Lucifer was before the fall. For that would have been wonderful news. However, God went even further than that. For God said, I shall make redeemed man even greater than the angelic host. For I shall adopt redeemed man into my family as my very children, which means, Christian, that we have been given the place of sonship, for we have been made members of God's household and are now heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, why exactly did God the Father do this, Christian, and adopt us into his family? For was it because of our own worthiness, Christian, or because of our own good works, Christian? No. For instead, God did all of these things, as Ephesians 1, 5 puts it, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and grace. For that, Christian, is what faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has done for you. And that it has taken you, Christian, from being born into sin, being dead in your sin, and awaiting eternal condemnation for your very sin, to that being born again, Christian, as a child of God, Christian, into the family of God, Christian, forgiven of your sins, Christian, and clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, Christian, to the point that your privilege, your position, and your eternal state. Now, Christian, before your most holy God is one where you now have access to God, fellowship with God, peace with God, harmony with God, and the very love of God, whereas one day, Christian, you will receive a glorious inheritance From your very God. And those aren't just words, Christian, that are coming out of my mouth this morning, but that is the truth, the reality, and the future destiny, Christian, of all those who place their faith in the perfect life, in the substitutionary death, and the triumph of Jesus Christ over the grave. Since it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that His Father can become our Father, Christian, and we become part of the family of God forever. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian, please note that even on this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, that although Jesus Christ has died... And although Jesus Christ has risen, and although Jesus Christ will come again, that in and of itself, non-Christian, does not mean that you have been forgiven of your sins, reconciled back to God as a child of the Most High God, and are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Because the only way any of that is possible, non-Christian, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, non-Christian, the only way to go from being born into sin and being dead in your sins and ultimately then being judged and condemned and damned for your sins is to repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus Christ, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, not to condemn this world, but in order that this world might be saved through him. And he did that, non-Christian, by initially living for us the life that we could never live. Meaning that although Jesus Christ was born into this world and lived and dwelt amongst this world and was tempted by sin within this world, Jesus Christ then, he never sinned, but instead lived a sinless and flawless and righteous life right here in this world, whereas he perfectly and completely, then non Christian, kept the law of God for the children of God without any kind of sin or any offense. However, the fulfilling of the law of God for the children of God, that alone, non-Christian, was not enough to save sinners from their sins. And I say that because in order for sinners to be forgiven of their sin, a price still needed to be paid, or a sacrifice still needed to be made, which is exactly, then, non-Christian, what Jesus Christ became for his sheep. And that Jesus Christ then willingly took our sins upon himself and was nailed to a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute in order, non-Christian, to make atonement for our very sins. And you know what, non-Christian? It worked. And I say that because the perfect and sinless and spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ Himself, nailed to that cross at Calvary, that it appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And the proof of that non-Christian, the verification of that non-Christian, the receipt of that non-Christian that God himself gave to this world was that three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, thus displaying to the world non-Christian that he had indeed defeated sin, destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life To all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. As the only one who can forgive you of your sin. As the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Thus, let today be the day non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day, non-Christian, Resurrection Sunday, 2022, that you will be forgiven of your sin, clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and declared justified by God as a child of the Most High God, and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for we are going to wrap up our Easter sermon this morning by considering that of John chapter 20, verse 18, which reads, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon this morning, church, the first person that Jesus Christ appeared to following his resurrection was that of Mary Magdalene, who was, again, a woman church, meaning that she would not have even been considered a legitimate legal witness within the courts of law of this particular culture. And yet that is who Jesus Christ appeared to first, following his resurrection from the dead. And not only that, church, but as we also see in verse 17, Jesus Christ also then said to her, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And please note, dear church, that Mary Magdalene that she does not here say to Jesus Christ, well, you know I would Jesus, but I can't, since I'm not considered a legitimate legal witness in the courts of law at this time. Nor does she say to Jesus, I can't because in the past you had to cast seven demons out of me. Nor does she say to Jesus, I can't because I'm just not good enough, or smart enough, or powerful enough, articulate enough, well-educated enough, or what have you, church, For Mary Magdalene doesn't say any of that here, church, but instead, as we see in verse 18, she just faithfully goes and announces to the disciples here that I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. And thus, because of that, as the late R.C. Sproul puts it, for we too, Christian, have been sent as messengers of the incredible news that Jesus Christ, who died, Is alive again. Therefore, will you hear the Savior's voice and take this glorious good news to a world that is lost and dead in sin? Therefore, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, do not let yourself fall into the trap of believing that sharing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with others is something that only your pastor has been called to do, or something that only your elders have been called to do, or something that only those with a seminary degree have been called to do, because if you are really in Jesus Christ, then you have been called Christian to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And fear not, Christian, for it does not take a PhD to share that message, nor does it take a doctorate degree to share that message, nor does it take a master's degree, a bachelor degree, an associate degree, or any type of degree in order to share that message. For instead, it takes faithfulness, Christian, to be able to share that message. Therefore, go this day, Christian, and in all that you do, faithfully bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And do not worry, Christian, about the cleverness of your speech, or the wisdom of your speech, or the brilliance of your speech, the flair of your speech, or even that of the wit of your speech, when you share about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just be faithful to share, Christian, that Jesus Christ died, that on the third day Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that the forgiveness of sins can only be found by grace alone, through faith alone in him, since that is the only message out Out there today, now and forevermore, church, with the power to save. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body ground ourselves this morning and forevermore in the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that for those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that they will be saved and taken from death to life, from law to grace, and from being enemies of the Most High God to that of his children. Therefore, let us then, Father, as your children, in all that we do, share this good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the world. Since for those who receive him and believe in his name, he gives them the right church to become the children of God forever. Let's pray Heavenly Father Lord we can cry out to you now God as Abba Father Once your enemies Now we have fellowship with you We have harmony with you We have peace with you When the righteous cry out for help You hear us now And there will come a day, Father, on the other side of the grave where we receive this eternal inheritance that will be truly unimaginable. All because you have given us the grace we need to have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, it is the message that the world needs. Let's give us boldness, Father, not to be wise, not to be the smartest person out there as we try to articulate the gospel message. Give us boldness, Father, to be faithful, for that gospel message is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let us be faithful, Father, in sharing that message in all that we do. That Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Jesus Christ will come again. To you be the glory forever and ever, God. Amen. prepare our hearts this morning for the Lord's Supper and partaking in the Lord's Supper together. I'm reminded of of Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 where where Paul talks about us receiving the righteousness of God. Usually when we talk about the righteousness of God, we talk about how God is perfect and it's something that that to be strived for. But we see here in Romans chapter 3 that Paul is talking about the righteousness of God that we received.